0: Ready to dominate at the plate? Blast Baseball is trusted by more major league and college teams than any other hitting solution. The Blast sensor attaches to the knob of any bat, providing real-time feedback with every swing. Go to BlastMotion.com and enter code NOWD1 at checkout to save $25. All right, everybody. It is 9 o'clock. Let's get right into it. We do this show every Monday through Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern on Twitter Spaces. I'm Alan Gay, and this is Now D1 Speaks. Got a really big show tonight, man. I'm super excited about this. We got a big-time guest. We got Butch Bacala joining us, and uh, we're going to have a fun time tonight. Hey, Butch, are you there?
1: I am definitely here, listening to you.
0: Hey, man, I am really excited about tonight. Thank you so much for being here with us. You know, Generally, we kind of focus this conversation on uncommitted prospects, and I guess in many ways... Hey, you're uncommitted, aren't you? I am
1: definitely uncommitted, uh, but I am committed to athlete nine one one baseball. If that can be committed to something,
0: hey, we're absolutely going to be talking about athlete nine one one baseball tonight. So why don't you kick it off? Maybe introduce yourself, even kind of go back in time just a little bit. Let us know where you went to high school, where you ended up going to college, who you played for, and uh, maybe just how you even got into baseball I- I- at the beginning of your life.
1: Okay, I. I was lucky enough to live in a, a great little town called Petaluma, California. You know where it's known for its arm wrestling, but um, in the last ten years, our our little our national Little League, which I played in, uh, won the won the Little League World Series uh, in Williamsport. So Petaluma uh, got on the map for uh, baseball. It's been a baseball town. I played at Petaluma High School. Um, I was lucky enough uh, to go to a division two school, uh, San Francisco state university. And my coach was a guy named Orrin Freeman. And for you guys that don't know, Orrin Freeman, he was in the front office of the Miami, uh, Marlins. He was a scouting director, uh, and just, I was lucky enough to cross paths with him. And, uh, it really helped my baseball life. And, uh, Got me a job in pro baseball with a great uh, a, a great guy named Gary Hughes, uh, who was a, a Yankee scout and, uh, you know, one of the most popular uh, scouting directors of all time in, in Major League Baseball, who in turn introduced me to a guy named Roger Youngward, who uh, signed Daryl Strawberry, Kevin Mitchell. He signed some pretty good players, uh, and I got a chance to work for him. Uh, and just my... You know, my love for baseball, Um, I honestly, I played Little League, and then I did not play baseball in high school till my junior year. And uh, then I was lucky enough, my senior year, our team was, uh, I want to say, 30-1. and We won the North Coast Section Championships, and I was lucky enough to be the co-California Player of the Year with a guy named Ron Robinson. Had a great career with the Cincinnati Reds as a big league pitcher.
0: So let me ask you something. I mean, what that's phenomenal right there. A couple of things just right off the bat. So how long, how long have you been involved in baseball? How many years? Oh,
1: well, I'm the big six-one right now. Uh, so <laughs> I would say uh, over 50 years for sure.
0: 50 years of baseball right here. And, you know, just a couple of things that you said were so incredible. I mean, Immediate name recognition, kind of thinking back over your career, recognizing guys that were obviously very, very influential. And I think one big thing, and I always want to be mindful of our, our core audience, which is uncommitted prospects. I love that you're saying that you didn't play high school baseball till your junior year. And I mean, that's, you know, that's almost seems unfathomable to think of anybody doing that today, you know, in this age. You know what I mean? So let me ask you something. Why, you know, why weren't you playing? Were you playing other sports? You just weren't interested. I mean, kind of what turns you on
1: your junior year? No, I like tearing people's heads off as a middle linebacker (laughs) and I, I loved football (laughs) and I loved basketball. I mean, um, I think I was the only freshman that ever played on the varsity at my high school as a freshman basketball player when I was skinny and agile and had agility. Um, and I loved basketball, but then I played uh, during the summer of my of my sophomore year, I want to say, so I went out for the high school baseball team, and I played, and then I got asked to play for the Giants' rookies uh, before my senior year. And then uh, my senior year, I, I had a, a lot of good teammates uh, that were really good players, and Uh, It's funny because we played our championship game, and one of my opponents was the University of Arizona coach, Chip Hale. So, um, you know, we we have a a rich uh, baseball tradition in Northern California. Uh, You know, in Petaluma, uh, baseball is is loved and revered. Uh, And I've been lucky enough to, you know, get to see it, do it, and evaluate it.
0: No question about it. And I can't wait to get into that. It's just fascinating. So let me ask you something. What position did you play or what positions did you play? And then ultimately, you know, what, really, what were your strengths? And then what were a couple of things that you think in, in probably ultimately or in the long run, just kind of held you back?
1: Well, I think my strength was, I loved to compete and I wasn't afraid to work. Um, I had ability. I could, I could throw a ball through a wall. I was a catcher, and then I became a pitcher. And, you know, I mean, I could throw the ball hard, um, and I could throw it by people. So, you know, obviously when you can do that, you know, you, you you and you're not afraid to work, and you're not afraid to get beat up a little bit, you know, you can, you, you're lucky. You can have success, and then um, you build confidence in your ability. Just like any young man would, and then you start believing that you can play and that you can play with anybody. And I mean, it served me well. My my sophomore year in college, I played for the Hutchinson, Kansas Bronx, and my roommate was Roger Clemens. Uh, and I played with Dan Plesac, Greg Matthews, Ray Hayward. Uh, eight of the ten, I was our fourth starter, and eight of the ten uh, pitchers on our staff seven of the 10 ended up pitching in the big leagues. Right. So it was, it was a, it was a fun summer. Dave Snow was the coach. I don't know if you know Dave. He was at Long Beach state and Fullerton, just a, a legendary uh, college coach in, in Southern California. George Horton was the hitting coach and a guy named Clint Thomas was the pitching coach from the university of Texas. Hmm.
0: I tell you, these are some phenomenal names. I got to tell you. And and again, want to be mindful a little bit of the, of our audience kind of walk through how you went all right so you were co uh athlete of the year a co baseball player of the year in the state of california right true how did all right so how how did that lead or just kind of give us a sense of your recruitment and what that looked like that ultimately led led you to uh, san francisco state
1: well it's funny i nobody knew of me and and, uh, in petaluma it's kind of a you know, northern California, up north, a place of not many players in in that area up to that time had gotten attention. There's big leaguers coming out of there like crazy now. But when I was young, nobody got attention. So I wasn't really being recruited by anybody uh, until Orrin Freeman uh, contacted USC because he was a graduate of USC. And he was trying to get me into USC And then I ended up, you know, uh, falling in love with the guy because he was so loyal to me, came up to watch my games, and he was the head coach of San Francisco State. So I decided that for my development, uh, it would be better for me to go to a, a D2 school and get to pitch as a freshman, which I did. I was one of our three starters. And, I mean, To this day, I still talk to kids about just about that. You you have to pick a place where you know is going to be comfortable for you and that you know you're going to have a chance to play. And I've never sat on a bench, so I don't think I would be a a guy that could be real good on a bench.
0: Man, I love that you said that, Butch, because that's one of the things I always kind of think about myself. I mean, the goal of playing college baseball is to play – college baseball and i I love the way you just put that you know it's not to go and sit on the bench and there's so many avenues i mean it doesn't matter d2 naia junior college uh mid mid majors i mean there are so many good baseball programs so many good baseball players there's just a lot of avenues to kind of further your career but ultimately you know you you know, hey, you got to have an objective in mind that you're you're kind of driving to, but you got to find the relationships, too. And it sounds like you found one, honestly, you know, in Oren Freeman. I mean, he was obviously very, very influential in your life and kind of put you on a path that, that led to where you are today.
1: And there's no doubt, you know, it, and that's why I talk with all of our players, you know, since – You know, there's so many choices for kids. And as we know, usually kids stay within a 500 mile radius of their home. So, uh, you know, the special ones get to go to those power fives and the elite type players get to go to the power fives. But there are so many schools that want players and need players. And I was lucky enough that You know, he was a Division II coach, had played at USC. My recruiting visit was with Fred Lynn at the pool at the Oakland. uh, When Freddie was with the Red Sox and they were in Oakland, I got to go sit by a pool all day and watch the guy play cards. (laughs) And, I mean, it was, you know, just incredible things for a kid that grew up in Petaluma. And, you know, in the summers in Petaluma, I was out on a a ranch, the Volpe Ranch, running down cows and running through horse manure pits. (laughs) So, I mean, it was all really, really exciting for me, and, you know, I I mean, yeah, D1 is great, but I got to compete with those guys when I went with Clemens and Plezak and Hayward and and these other guys, Matthews, and I I saw that world, and I knew I can compete in that world, and I was good enough to compete in that world, Uh, but everybody has a different path and a different process, and you know it's like i tell all kids now hey if you get to play college baseball and go get a chance to get a degree in college uh that's that's something that nobody could snarl at you know like you got to be happy with yourself and everybody's path is different
0: no question butch man that's something that stays on your resume for the rest of your life you'll be able to tell people hey This is where I went to school. And Oh, by the way, I played a little ball at the same time. I mean that, that'll never leave you. Hey, everyone that's joining tonight. Thank you so much. We absolutely appreciate it. If you got in late, don't worry about it. We record this space. And one of the reasons we record it is so that we can retweet it out later. Uh, We're talking with Butch Bacala tonight. Fantastic dude. I tell you, he's got an unbelievable uh, career. He is uh, a wealth of information and we're just very, very fortunate that he has taken out a little bit of time to, uh, to kind of talk with us this evening. so, Hey, so in speaking about talking with us, kind of give us a sense of, you know, uh, again, that core audience, just give us a sense. What was it like your professional career to be drafted? And then just, just kind of being a, a ball player, pro ball player, just what was the day to day like?
1: I mean, it's, it's fantastic. My pro career really didn't get off the ground because I was hurt. And I ended up, you know, uh, having Tommy John. Then I had, uh, they did a dye test in my neck to try to find out what was wrong with me. And the dye went up into my brain and I had a grand mal seizure. Uh, and I was in the ICU for three days and they weren't sure if I was going to live at first, but, um, you know, just, you know, there's, we talk about, um, you know, just getting to play a sport, Uh, As you grow older and you continue to want to compete. And then uh, I just found a new competition ground in coaching and evaluation after my playing career was over. So I think that's what everybody does. I mean, there comes a point for all of us when it's going to be done and over with. And then I was just lucky enough and had a passion for evaluating players, coaching players, and uh, just having no fear in in uh, evaluation.
0: Hey, let me ask you something. Was that, did that ultimately kind of lead at the end of your career, which you just kind of walked through with the, did you describe it as a grandma seizure? A grandma. Oh, okay. I misunderstood. Yeah, you. No, know,
1: if it was a grandma seizure, my, my grandma would never <laughs> have done that to me. She loved me. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's called a grandma seizure. And I just, I was sitting there talking with my parents after the procedure and all of a sudden uh, I just blacked out and all I could hear was Mm. code blue, code blue. And, and, uh, Mm. and then I remember waking up three days later and thinking to myself, wow, you know, do I want to have kids? I want to have a family. Uh, And maybe this isn't my right path right now. How old were you? I was 21
0: Oh, my word. You're just a kid. I was a baby. No question.
1: 40 years ago. Come bro, on now. Man. Come on. Now. Yeah, You don't you know. have to remind me. <laughs>
0: so, so let, let me. Let, all right. So when your career did kind of wind its way up or down. Yes. So what what kind of led you into scouting? How did you make that move? You know, and, and, and tell us who all you scouted for. And then ultimately, how did you get promoted to cross checker Yeah, okay.
1: I I started out at Santa Rosa JC as a pitching coach and recruiting coordinator. And Orrin Freeman introduced me to a guy named Jim Fleming. Jim Fleming was a coach at University of Oklahoma. And uh, he ended up being assistant to the general manager of the Miami Marlins also. He hired me. Uh, in the summer to coach up in the Alaska league at Matt And we eventually went to Wichita to the NBC and we won, we won Wichita that year and uh, we were the NBC champions. So right after that, Steve McFarland, who was the head coach at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo called me and offered me his recruiting coordinator job and pitching coach's job at Cal Poly San Luis. So, you know, I, jumped on, jumped in the car and I was down there in within two days and, uh, I was the recruiting coordinator and pitching coach for two and a half months. And then Roger Youngward called me, uh, through Gary Hughes, the great Gary Hughes and offered me, uh, a Northern California scouting job and, uh, the pitching coach of the Bellingham Mariners in the Northwest league. So it was like the boat. First of all, I got a $20,000 raise over what I was making at Cal Poly. So that, (laughs) that made it pretty easy. And, um, you know, I was going to get the best of both worlds. I was going to get to scout and learn how to scout. And then I was going to get to be a pitching coach with, which I had a great passion for and love for. And then, um, you know, I scouted for the Mariners for two years uh, I came back to Petaluma and coached. I was the head baseball coach at Casa Grande High School, and then uh, I took a job uh, with the Atlanta Braves for ten years. I started out in the Northwest as a Northwest Area Scout, was there for three years, and then I got promoted to our, you know, uh, West Coast Cross Checker, and then I stayed in that position uh, for. I want to say three or four years. And then uh, I went to the Reds and I was promoted to national cross checker, which I served for like eight years there.
0: Hmm. Unbelievable, man. I love it. So how long was just your scouting career? 26 years. 26 years. Can you, I know you can, but would you mind maybe naming a couple of names, a couple of guys that you, uh, you, you, you kind of went out and found and, and uh, promoted within the organization that they may be the right
1: fit? Well, some of the players that I signed early in my career was a guy named Kerry Woodson, who pitched for the Mariners. Uh, I got him in the 29th round, and the following year, he ended up being the California JC Player of the Year. And I had him signed for 40000 and then he, went, he decided that he was going to go back to uh, San Jose Community College, and he played with a guy named Scott Erickson. And, uh, uh, Kerry ended up having an unbelievable year and we ended up having to give him $110,000, uh, but he <laughs> was the California JC player of the year. So it was a pretty good draft for the 29th round. And my cross checker guy named Ron Hopkins, who still scouts and he's about 95 now. Uh, he, <laughs> he, uh, he helped me get him. And then I got a guy named Lee Hancock in the fourth round. I got a guy named Dane Sardina. Uh, got caught at uh, Pepperdine and was a Hawaiian kid. Got him in the second round. He caught for us with the Reds. And then, you know, I mean, then I started cross-checking. And some of the bigger names, you know, had to do with were, you know, Joey Votto, um, Homer mm. Bailey, um, <laughs> you know um, – Man, the shortstop uh, that we got from Tennessee, and I'm I'm i drawing a blank on his name now. But we took him in the second round. You know, I mean, there's been uh, there's been a lot of them. I've I've been lucky enough to been tied to a, a lot of good players. And uh, but you know, when you're scouting and you do a good job, it's it's all it's all about team and all about just getting good information, making sure you see a player enough times so that you have a good feel for him, his ability to play, but you also can come to a determination about his makeup and how he competes, how he gets along with his teammates. Uh, but number one, and I tell all kids that I watch because they talk about makeup, and I hear other coaches talk about makeup, If I wouldn't be there to watch you if you didn't have ability. I don't go to watch players just because they have makeup. So ability has got to be number one. And then the other things, you know, in the bottom half of the circle, you know, the makeup, the game awareness, the instincts, uh, all that stuff comes into play. But the ability has got to be number one.
0: I understand that 100 percent. Give us a hey, tell us somebody that got away from you. You know, one of the guys, one of the prospects that you just were probably enamored with, that you were really running down, and it just didn't work out for whatever reason. He eluded you.
1: Well, I, you know, with the draft, you know, there's a lot of guys that you really like, and you know, you don't get a chance at because they might be picked before you. So uh, that the, the the names of those guys would be. I remember my first draft. Um. I wanted Eddie Sprague really bad. He was a third baseman at Stanford. Hmm. And I mean, it was my first year scouting. I wrote my highest report I ever wrote uh, in my scouting career that year. I turned a guy in as a 70 and that was a guy named Mike Musina. And then I had Eddie Sprague that was also at Stanford. And, it was down to him or Tino Martinez and my boss liked Tino Martinez better than Ed Sprague, So I I lost him, you know? So, I mean, there's stories about guys like that all the time that the players you like and there's players that you don't like. And, um, I mean, I, I, I hate, I'd be a liar to tell you, there wasn't guys that I didn't like that ended up being good players.
0: I'm sure. No doubt about it. Cause ability always comes number one, no question about it. And then make up number two, and you're not going to like everybody that has ability. Makes sense. A hundred, percent. Hey, let me ask you something, Butch. And I put this down and I wasn't sure don't want to rub any uh, feathers the wrong way. Is it too soon to ask you about ice cream sandwiches?
1: <laughs> no, you can. I, I mean, that's part of my, uh, that's part of my, <laughs> my life and uh, probably the, you know, I mean, when you get to be at the level that I got to be at, and see the things, and be part of the meetings, I got to be part of, to meet the people that I got to meet and be around. Uh, it's 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 an unbelievable job being a, a, a major league scout and scouting in a in a baseball organization. Uh, you know, with my deal with Montero was just a huge mistake on my part, and. You know, a lot of it had to do with my ego and my confidence in myself. Uh, And what I did was stupid. And uh, I got what I deserved. But, yeah, I picked the wrong kind of ice cream for him, I guess. I guess he didn't like what I sent him. (laughs) And uh, it was a huge mistake. And really, uh, it helped me mature as a person. And uh, it's made me a better person. And I was totally wrong. And I got what I deserved.
0: Hey again, everybody!
1: Yeah.
0: everybody that's joining us tonight. Hey, thank you again so much. We absolutely appreciate it. I mentioned earlier that we record this space, and uh, one of the one of the other reasons that we record it, we turn this into a podcast. The podcast is the Now D One Speaks Show, and it is on every platform that's out there. And uh, we we record a podcast four times a week. Our core audience are uncommitted high school prospects. And our core listeners are college coaches. And I think it's just so fascinating. It's a little plug for the show, but I think it's so fascinating what Butch just kind of alluded to. And, uh, well, what didn't allude to. It just said it was a statement. Ability always comes first. I'm not going to come and watch you play unless you have the ability. And then you start looking at the makeup. And that's one of the things that I think is fantastic about this podcast, Now D1 Speaks. College coaches, hey, when, when high school kids walk into a college campus and, and they're fortunate enough to play college baseball, guess what? Every kid there or every young man, they're going to be good. They're going to be big. They're going to be fast. They're going to be strong. They're going to know how to play baseball. All those guys are going to be good. The one piece that I think that some coaches always have a little question about is what's their makeup? What are they ultimately going to be like off the field? Is this someone I'm going to have to worry about all in, in the classroom? in dorm settings, nightlife, or is this a young man that's got a high character that's going to be able to take care of his business and who's going to allow me to focus on developing baseball players and ultimately really winning ball games? because that's why a, co- a college coach is paid. And I think that the forum that we have for uncommitted kids, it allows them to say, hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm accomplishing off the field. Hey, coach, you can trust me because here's the track record that I'm putting down. I know I have the ability. Let me tell you who I am as a young man. So I really appreciate you kind of walking through that ability first. I love that. And then it's makeup. And Hey, again, that was my quick plug. We're with uh, Butch Bacala tonight. Super fortunate to have him on. He's had a fascinating career, just a wealth of information He's open and honest about everything that he's doing. I I reached out to him and said, hey, would you kind of jump on this little show? And he said, absolutely. Didn't even hesitate. And I think that's just so big and it really speaks to his character as well. So thank you, Butch. Appreciate you being here and everybody that's listening. Thank you guys very, very much. So Butch, let me ask you, all right? What is it? Your scouting days are behind you. What is it that you're doing now?
1: Well, I started... um you know, obviously nobody wanted to hire me after uh, my incident with Montero. And, uh, you know, a career of 26 years just thrown to the side, you know, for five minutes of stupidity. And uh, so I came home and uh, for a year I just ran all over the place, worked with kids, um, and, and just. Uh, you know tried to find my footing like what you know I'm not going to be able to get back into Major League Baseball uh, so what am I going to do with the rest of my life and uh, to, to be you know 100% honest like I am with everybody all the time um, I, I was going to have to work for the first time in my life you know ba- the baseball life and scouting uh, when guys say it's work uh, I just I sit there and I laugh I mean, it's hustling, it's being organized, it's being able to evaluate and then not being afraid to put what you think on a piece of paper and sticking your nuts on the line for a a player. So uh, I had no problem doing that. I love to compete. So I started my athlete. What I was going to do was I came up with Athlete 911. And what I was going to do at first was I was going to start a business that helped sports people that were having problems that were thinking about committing suicide. Hmm. And uh, I'd almost gotten it off the ground. And then my lawyers were just like, this is really not a great idea because if something goes wrong, you could be sued. So I changed directions and I, you know, I started my own youth baseball program. And, um, I started it with a group of guys that called themselves the beefy boys. They came, we were at a, we, we had 13 guys and we were at a field, uh, and, and the picture's in my office right behind me right now. And <laughs> I'm looking at it and all of them had different uniforms. And then this one day I said, we're going to start calling ourselves the beefy boys. So it was athlete 911 beefy boys. I, I got the bammers, I got the crushers. I got the mashers, and um, you know we we, we we went right through COVID. We kept playing. We built the the program up to 150 kids, and I hated it. I mean, I absolutely hated it because the biggest thing that for me in athlete 911 is the relationships with the kids and the families. And with 150 kids, it's impossible. So we broke it down to the next year to down to about 80 kids. And I feel really comfortable with 80 kids. I can help all of them. I can help them make good decisions. I can be honest with them. And they, they know I care. So they know what my honesty is from caring. And, um, you know, I just try to help them make the best decisions that they can make uh, for themselves, whether it be in school, life. Uh, you know, off field, social, uh, just, just educate them on what people are looking for and uh, just trying to help them make good choices in their lives. You know, it's like I tell kids, um, you know, you, you you can make one bad choice and it could cost you for the rest of your life. So count to Ten. And think before you do something, like we just had a kid in this area. It was really, really sad. He was just the optimist player of the game. He went to Bella Vista. He's a shortstop. He was going to Sac City. And he was definitely probably going to be a Division One player eventually. And he lost his hand the other day on the 4th of July playing with fireworks. Mm. Yeah, really sad. So, um, you know, it can be taken away from you tomorrow. Uh, And I just I I love the fact that I get to grow relationships with these kids. Uh, I get to I understand parents. Parents in my organization can talk to me all they want, text me, call me, be glad to talk about their player. But I my one rule is is they cannot talk about a kid that's not theirs. And if they do, I just I get them out of my organization right now.
0: So this is a new organization you were talking about right through COVID. You started athlete nine one one around like 2019 ish, 2020.
1: I, I absolutely did. I had, a, a, when I first got out of baseball, I had, uh, you know, major league baseball, I had a, a place called, uh, California, California Academy of baseball. And, um, my team on my team the, the first year, I was lucky enough to have a guy named Brian Market uh, coach my team, and I I you know was the I stayed on as a pitching coach, and that team had a guy named Griff McGarry who ended up pitching at at uh, Virginia, who's in AAA right now with the Phillies, uh, and we had the first player picked in the draft in I want to say twenty one Spencer Torkelson. So it was—it was a really good team, and that's what made me decide. Hey, I wanna—I wanna start my own thing here with Athlete 911, and I have teams now from 13 to 18, and I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm ready to—I'm ready to slow down. You know, 61 years old. I wanna—I wanna enjoy my mom, my sister, my wife, our kids, and uh, not always be it because I cannot. I. Our teams I go see all of our teams 13 year olds 18 year olds I go when they're playing, I think it's really important that I go and show my face and support those kids even when I'm not coaching them and uh, so it's an every weekend thing.
0: I think that's important too means a ton not only to the kids means the world to the parents so 80 kids is kind of the that feels good so you have essentially six uh six teams
1: i did i did and i've been able to do that for the last five years but now i'm 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 actually going to downsize to four and i carry 15 kids uh on each team because i do not take any chances with pitch limits and we we follow pitch limits i don't throw kids 155 pitches or 130 pitches I got a plan for each age in developing starter types, reliever types. How we I I use our bullpens like they're pro bullpens, and we don't we don't overuse kids. We're not in it. Our Our agenda is our kids, but it's not to hurt our kids.
0: Well, let me ask you something. As you kind of look back over your baseball career, honestly, from just starting to play when you were just a little kid, even through football, the whole thing, uh, certainly your pro career. Uh, you, you're all the scouting experience that you had. Now, what you're doing with athlete 911? Honestly, what's really been kind of your favorite moment of time in your career? You know, like what's been the most enjoyable and the most rewarding?
1: Well, I mean, I have a few World Series rings, so those were those are pretty memorable and you know, fantastic. I mean. I got to sit in two advanced meetings for four hours at a piece at a time with Bobby Cox. And anybody knows, you know, who Bobby Cox is knows that he's a great character, but a better man and great baseball person. Um, And I just, I love, uh, for me, the best thing about this thing is the relationships. I love the relationships I have with some of my players, some of their parents. Uh, you know, I mean, there's, there's always going to be people that are, you know, tough to deal with, but you know, when you're a parent, I was a parent, I had two kids and I understand that all those parents, they, all they do is they love their kid and they just want to see what's best for their kid. And sometimes people just cannot control their emotions. Uh, so, uh, and I'm one of them. I mean, I'm emotional and uh, fired up and have passion and it's taken me a lot of years to control my passion and put it in a positive way so that it doesn't offend people because um i mean i'm i'm straight at you honest and you know in this in today's world there's not too many people that want honest
0: you got that right 100% couldn't agree more hey just kind of want to give you a little bit of a sense of who i am and maybe a little bit of my age as well and and for the people that are listening hey butch and i we don't know each other I made the comment earlier that I just kind of reached out to him and said, hey, would you be a part of this show that we do? And he was just like, yeah. I mean, that I just kind of gives you an indication of who he is. But we don't know each other. And, and this will be be a podcast, and it's all live. There's no cuts. There's no edits. There's no let's do it over. It's just out there, and we just kind of record it. Absolutely, again, pre- appreciate Butch being here. But, Butch, just so that you know, I love when you're talking about Bobby Cox. You may have noticed, I'm not sure, you know, you're from Northern California. I have a little bit of a Southern accent. I'm from Georgia, right? And I yeah. grew up a Braves fan, right? You know, and it, just to kind of give you a, a feel for my age, the first pro game that I ever saw that my dad took me to was the Braves and the Montreal Expos, and pitching for the Montreal Expos was Steve Rogers. Oh, my gosh. There you go. And the first autograph I ever got was from Larvell Blanks, Sugar Bear, oh, Larvell yeah. Blanks with the, with the Atlanta Braves. So yeah. I know all about Bobby. Well, I don't know Bobby Cox, certainly, but I was all through that era. So really was impressed, even. And I, I didn't realize that you were with them. I think you said for 10 years. So that kind of made me uh, put a little smile on my face when you said that as well.
1: Thank you. I mean, it was the, I mean, I got to, uh, lucky enough to work for a guy named Paul Snyder. Uh, I worked for a guy named Chuck Lamar, who was probably the most talented scout that I've ever worked with. Um, you know, John Sheerholtz, uh, unbelievable, oh, yeah. incredible mind. I used to love when we'd get on trade talks, uh, you know, we we start talking about the player and every time at the end of the talk, uh, John would say, gentlemen, I, respect and appreciate the information you have given me. It is, it it will help me make the decision that I will make that will help our organization be the best. Wow. And it it just incredible. I mean, uh, you know, some of those people are just such dynamic, uh, positive mindset, winning people that it's, I've been very lucky in my baseball career.
0: No doubt, man. I tell you, the best thing that ever happened to the Braves organization is when John Sherholz left the Kansas City Royals. That, that absolutely turned the corner for the Braves. They became a different uh, a different organization completely.
1: It's just like a player, you know. I mean, one player can uh, shape an organization. If you look at, you know, the Reds right now, De La Cruz, just the, the jump that he's given them, it shows you that just one player can change the fortunes of an organization, and that goes for a leader also in the front office and John Sheralds was definitely that.
0: No question, man. No question about it. Hey, again, everybody that's listening. Thank you so much for being here. We absolutely appreciate it. If you're an uncommitted prospect and you're listening to the show and you would be interested in being part of this environment, please reach out to me. I'm on Twitter. I'm at now underscore D one. I will tell you that we're pretty much booked through July. I think I've got one day available. But August is open. We're going to continue to do this series all the way through summer, and I'm sure we're going to run it into the fall. And so I would just ask that you reach out to me. We'll figure out a date. Hey, uh, again, we're talking with Butch Bacala. Just a fantastic evening. Just really very, very appreciative of having him on, just his open honesty and just kind of really just talking about his career and other people's careers as well. So, Butch, let me ask you something. You know, again, with our core audience, these are guys that are trying to get to the next level kind of give us a sense of your perspective on really the state of college baseball recruiting today. And especially when you take into account, you know, the new contact rules and, and, and really the transfer portal. What, what's kind of your overall sense of where we are with college baseball recruiting. Are we in a good place? Or is there some changes that potentially need to be made?
1: I mean, obviously um, the game, uh, you know, college baseball's changed in the last three, four years. Uh, coaches are making massive dollars, you know 750 to a million to a year. Uh, so the pressure on them to win and to have winning programs is enormous. So they have to, you know it, it's become a more competitive world. People are stealing. I mean it's I, I call it college baseball free agency because you know players can be at one place i'll give you for instance um the shortstop at sacramento state this kid named alloy that came from hawaii uh that is an out of sight player definitely a power five type player uh has a big year at sac state he hits in the three hole he plays shortstop just a premium player you know a guy that uh, you know, like Reggie Christensen, the head coach of Sac State, can build this program around. And all of a sudden, you know, it's the end of the year and his legs are cut out from him. And the guy, you know, enters the, the, the transfer portal and uh, he's going to Arkansas on, you know, what is believed to be a three hundred to $400,000 deal. So um, the money part of it, um, you know, it's ruining college baseball in my opinion. So in, in my opinion, what's going to happen is, is the, the college baseball is going to have to go to a power five system where 75 schools, uh, play in a league, you know, afford say four different leagues, you know, this West Midwest, East and South, and they have their own world series in Omaha. And then the mid majors have their own, uh, league and, uh, play in their own, their, their own world series, uh. Because it's getting, it's going to get so far out of hand. uh, Because different schools are able to pay money to to get players. Uh, I was just told the other day, two days ago, that uh, a player was drafted uh, in the fifth. I I want to say it was the fourth or fifth round. uh, Turned down a deal to sign with a major league team and lost one hundred and fifty thousand dollars by signing with the major league team. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so it's it's definitely uh, the landscape has changed. Uh, in my opinion, what's going to happen is, is the Power Fives are going to be the minor leagues uh, for Major League Baseball. And then the mid-majors are going to be the minor leagues for the Power Fives. And guys that have good years in the mid-majors are going to be looked at. And then they're going to be given deals to come to the Power Fives. And it's just just going to be a process that uh, how it how it runs. And, you know, just like a minor league system, as you can see in the draft the last couple of years, in my opinion, at least, um, it's all set up for the, the elite high school players are going to get drafted in the first two rounds, two, three rounds. And it's going to be the elite ones are going to go. And then there's going to be a lot of really, really good players that end up in college. Uh, because from the the third from the third fourth round to the 15th round it's going to become uh, a power five draft of uh, big arms uh, velocity inventory arms college position players uh, and it, the, the baseball's changing so I think young kids cannot take it as a cut if they go to a junior college is I think young kids and I tell the kids in my organization that there is nothing bad about going to a junior college and playing for a year or two getting, learning how to become a man, you know, learning how to maybe live away from home and just maturing before you go to a division, an NAIA, a division three, a division two, division one. But the number one goal having to be to get an education and then with that education, getting the chance to play baseball. And, I mean, I just put a thing out on my Twitter about the, you know, the results from the 2023 draft by position. And it's crazy. There was three, four, five, 10, 34, 40, only, only 43 junior college players drafted this year in the whole country. 43. That's, that's nothing. You know, when you, when you think that there's 259 right-handed pitchers drafted, and 196 of those are, you know, Division One college, Division Two, II, Division Three college pitchers, and then there's only 39 high school uh, players drafted, and then 24 junior college. That's great one one junior college first baseman was drafted, just one in the country, just one college, <laughs> JC shortstop. In the country, one-third baseman, J.C. in the country. But it, I think kids have to understand if you're not an elite player, you can still have the dream of Major League Baseball because you can, you, you can go to a J.C., you can go to the D3, D2, NAIA, D1 eventually and get drafted, but your main goal has got to be you're going to get a degree and you're thinking about your life after baseball.
0: Yeah, no question about it. Amen on that piece, because it doesn't matter how good you are. Your career is definitely going to end. There's no doubt about it. And, uh, you you know, that an education will stay with you for a lifetime and, and the connections that you make in college. And as an example, the connections you make just through your college coaches, look how the coaches have shaped your life. But I mean, that, you couldn't give better advice. You know, a couple things that obviously stick out. Uh, I love you know, and you're right when you're talking about the money that the power five coaches are making, they're making big time money. And it's just laughable to still think about 11.7 scholarships because baseball is quote unquote, a non-revenue sport. You know what I mean? And you're thinking, wait a minute, these guys are making a ton of money to be coaching a non-revenue sport. Something's not quite adding up. And, you know, I think in many ways, COVID had a huge impact, probably on this draft as well. I think you just have had an influx of players staying in college. You know, it was kind of diminishing other positions and they were able to continue to develop. And oh, by the way, all of a sudden NIL money kind of came about and maybe it made sense maybe to hang around one more year or whatever it was. And so I think you're just, I think you're 100% right where each division's kind of feeding into the next division. But I think, you know, and, and I'm old school, too, because I feel like, you know, it's just not the same game anymore anymore. But if I try to look at it objectively, I think in some ways it really gives these players a lot of power. And if they could get, I'm talking about the high school kids, if they can kind of get that D1 or bus mentality out of their mind and instead just think about putting down a track record in college, go to a, go to a junior college, go to NAIA, go D2 go and put down a record for that first year because power five colleges, I don't think they're going to continue to look at high school. I think they're going to be more influenced looking at college kids that have a proven record and jumping on them in a transfer position rather than saying, Hey, projecting what a high school kid could do.
1: I think the biggest thing that you, if you were to talk to, you know, you're to talk to college coaches, they they would tell you the biggest thing in the problem with high school kids getting to their program is they're just not strong enough. They're mm-hmm. not physical enough to to play every day into to, you know, impact that program as freshmen. So that's why you see so many big numbers of kids going to these D ones and then after a year leaving. Them. So mm-hmm. I think there's got there's gotta be a way where, you know, I mean, it would be hard, like, just thinking of me as a kid, it would be hard, if I was an offensive player, it would be really hard for me not to want to go play for Jay Johnson. Jay Johnson's got, a, <laughs> a, you know, an unbelievable record as a hitting coach, an offensive coach, um, and, I mean, why wouldn't you want to play for Jay Johnson? He, I mean, he's, he's at LSU. It's, it's same thing with a guy like Tim Corbin, who – I would want my kid to go there because of the trust for him of building a man of my, of my son. You know, I mean, there's, there's different things in different coaches that we all see, but their world with the whole uh, portal and the NIL money um, is just made it so competitive for all of them. Uh, f- basically free agency and, it's sad. I, I think more than more than not, a lot of these men that, you know, were probably good competitors that liked one another. I, I don't I can't believe that it's become so competitive that, that and people are going to be taking players from each other. Uh, it, it's just it's not a real good environment right now.
0: I would agree hundred percent. Hey, this is a whole different show. And I do want to be mindful of everyone's time. And, and, uh, and, and let's just, i tell you what, let's do this. Let, let's kind of wrap the show up for tonight. And I'm thinking about athlete nine one one again, and really, you know, butch if you had a kid about to come in to a, the 13 year old team and, you know, so the 12 year olds, yeah. and and they're and they're guys that they're good at baseball and they're excited about it, and they're thinking man i I really would like to have a lot of success for a long time. What kind of advice would you give maybe not only to that kid but their parents as well
1: well i would I would tell you first of all i'm i'm my program is not a place uh that all elite players are at i I' made it so that I get players that aren't real good, but I get players that are real good. Um, I mean, like t- I, two years ago, we had we had one guy go to Mississippi State, we had another go to Stanford, we had another go to UCLA. Uh, but then I have players that that are just trying to make a JC team. So my advice to to my thirteen, my twelve and thirteens is number one, you're going to learn how to play on a bigger field. We're going to teach you all the things that you need to know before you go to high school so that when you get to high school, your coach says, wow, you already know that. And they're versed in every team thing, first and third, offense, defense, bunt coverages, uh, long relays. They know everywhere where they're supposed to be. Uh, To me, that's really important. I, I tell our players and their parents the first two years in our program, is more about development and team development. Learning how to be a uh, learning how to be a good teammate. Uh, game awareness is huge. Instincts are huge. You, you're not going to play at a Division One school if you don't have baseball game awareness or instincts. So we spend a lot of time in that. And you know, I'm fully aware that winning is a part of development, but in my program. Winning is not what's number one. It's not the number one agenda for us. Building players, teaching them how to do things correctly, how to stay between their feet, using their feet, uh, leads, get offs, secondary leads. Uh, you know, uh, reading the trajectory of ball so they can get better get offs and, and read uh, dirt ball reads better. Uh, all the things that go into becoming a good baseball player.
0: That's good stuff right there, Butch. Hey, if, if a family wanted to be able to get in touch with you, what's the, what's the best way to do it? Or if it's someone that is just interested in, in kind of somewhat being connected to you and just being in your sphere, so to say, how how do they, how do they find you?
1: Well, I mean, I'm visible on Twitter and they can follow us on Facebook at athlete, nine one one baseball. And my in my text is always open. My phone number 530-368-1008. I'm always, I have tons of kids that call me and ask me to help them, you know, with making decisions. They, I, kids send me tape all the time. And um, it's, I mean, I, I enjoy the relationship part of it. I enjoy being able to help kids. And what I, what I tell kids and what I truly believe is, is when I, if I'm going to talk to a college coach for them in on their behalf, um, I'm going to have a baseball opinion about the, and my evaluation about the player. And all of our evaluations about the players can be different, but the number one thing that I have to do as a leader of an organization is when I tell a college coach, I've got to be right on that player's makeup. Okay. Because we're all going to have a difference of opinion in ability and how we see ability and how we're going to project ability, but when I tell when I tell a coach that this kid is a good makeup guy, he does this and that, and I'm honest about our kids with everybody, um, uh, I, I think that for college coaches as as youth coaches, we have to do that. We can't uh, get so carried away in. You know, this kid. This will make my program look better. I, I don't believe in that at all. I believe if we have a player that's good enough to be recruited by one of these these guys, um, then we need to we need to be honest all the way, and uh, you know give them the straight sh- shot about their makeups. Because obviously, like you said earlier, the ability's there, or they wouldn't be there talking about it.
0: No doubt. I can't think of a better place than, than to kind of end it right there. I think those were tremendous words of wisdom. Hey, Butch, I have really, honestly enjoyed this evening. I am so appreciative that you took some time out to to kind of jump on and talk with us this evening.
1: Thank you, Alan. I appreciate getting to talk and uh, spreading my word uh, in what I believe. And, you know, that's the whole thing is you know, you're, you're saying you are getting beaten up on Twitter right now. And, and (laughs) believe me, I get beaten up on, I get beaten up on Twitter a lot because it's my opinion. And that's what I try to tell people. Uh, when I, when I talk on Twitter or when I talk to my families, uh, on my Facebook page, it's all out of experiences that I've had. And I try to share those so I can help, you know, help somebody. And if it helps one person, then I feel really good about it, and I I have to be honest about myself in order for people to trust me and to connect with me. So that's the way I live my life. Sometimes my wife doesn't like me so honest, but uh, (laughs) it's just uh, it's who I am, and it's just the best way, I think, to get respect to people.
0: I think you're 100% right. Absolutely enjoyed this evening. I will tell everyone that tomorrow at night we're going to go back to kind of quote-unquote, our regular program. We've got a 25 uncommitted. He's from North Carolina. It's Caden Parks. And Caden plays just outside of Charlotte. He plays for Coach Jackson. And i got to tell you, Coach Jackson is a phenomenal coach, does a great job helping guys get recruited or doing the recruiting piece and really kind of moving them along to the next level. Caden's a big-time athlete. I think we're going to have a lot of fun. That'll be tomorrow night at 9 o'clock. Hey, Butch, again, Thank you. I hope we're able to stay in touch. I would love to be able to reach out to you maybe in a year and just kind of see where we are after the draft next year maybe and you come back on and, and let's just kind of catch up again.
1: I, I would love that. I'm not going anywhere, so you know my number. <laughs> I'm here, <laughs> and I'd love to talk with you anytime, Alan. Thank Thanks for having me. Hey,
0: here. thank you so much, guys. Hey, we're going to end it here for tonight, so thank you, everyone. Good night. Hey, let me ask you something. Are you ready to dominate at the plate this season? Blast Baseball is the number one hitting improvement solution, trusted by more major league, college, and travel ball teams than any other. The Blast sensor attaches to the knob of any bat, providing real-time feedback with every swing. Metrics are automatically sent to a smartphone app, generating insights that allow you to analyze and improve your hitting like never before. Go to BlastMotion.com and enter code now d one and you will save $25 at checkout. Unlock your potential with Blast.